Hello, Star Trek fans, and welcome back to Warp Trails. This is the RetroZap Podcast Network show devoted to Star Trek. I am your host, Dennis Keithley, and with me, as always, is my wife, co-host, and most favorite Star Trek fan, Beth. Hello, everyone. It's the should, finale. Should I call you Beth? But, uh... I, I was like, <laughs> so second Beth in Star Trek. There we I'll go. bet you can't name the first. I cannot. But uh, we can save that trivia for just a minute here. We're going to be discussing Old Friends, New Planets, which is the season finale of season four of Lower Decks on this episode. It will be a full spoiler discussion. And now that everyone's had a second to think about it, who is the other Beth? The woman in the cave from the original Star Trek series. She and Spock get stuck in a cave together. And in the novels, they even have a child together. Well, well. Uh okay look at you bringing the trivia so okay so this is it this is the season finale sarah beth but it's from all our yesterdays but i'm counting it so here we are with our season finale and um you know this is uh, brings everything to a close with a mysterious vessel and nick lacarno before we get into our discussion what was your overall thoughts on this one beth Oh, I loved it. I said I thought the writer's room could hit nail the landing, and they did. I really enjoyed this one quite a bit. How about you? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I, as we've been discussing uh, for the past couple episodes, it it had its humor, but it's nice that Lower Decks has been able to move beyond just relying solely on the comedy and then their references to other Star Trek episodes. And I think this one now it had plenty of good references to other Star Trek, especially the Wrath of Khan, as we'll yes. get into here. But it really did close out its own storyline, especially everything that was going on with Mariner quite well, I would think. And built on other storylines that they had uh, visited in various episodes over the course of the season. So oh, really well done. Okay, but the whole thing starts with a previously on Star Trek Lower Decks montage to montage to get us up to speed. Uh, yes. I can't remember if they have done that before on Lord Dykes. Can you remember? I don't know that they have. I mean, because that's such a um, uh, Barrett was the voice of that. And they even kept her voice, I thought, so that she could do it. I thought it was a nice touch that Jerry O'Connell did it. And I thought he did a really good job with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did it did take me a minute to get used to it not being that voice, you know, not being uh, Barrett's voice doing it. Did you care at all? Not particularly, no. Um, it was. It did what it needed to do, which was remind you of everything that had happened before that was going to be important for this episode. Gave you that very strong clue with the Genesis device uh, mm-hmm. right there in the middle, which could have been just seen as a throwaway thing in the episode where the Ferengis got their ship captured. But no, it ended up being something important, uh, as we'll get to here. And then we get a flashback to Starfleet Academy, and Nova Squadron is discussing their plans to pull off the Starburst maneuver. Or I should say, Lacarno's really trying to convince everybody. And that's, again, voiced by Robert Duncan McNeil. And then uh, Mariner approaches Sito 
And we get Cadet Crusher, uh, voiced by Will Wheaton as well. And then the dearly departed Josh, who's also hanging out there. Yeah. I don't remember if he had lines or not, but I kind of Star Trek luminary uh, voice cast here for this scene here. And we get a approach by a younger Mariner talking to Sito. And we do find out that she was a little behind Sito, uh, at least one class behind her. So what'd you think about this flashback? Oh, I mean, one of the benefits of being an animated show is you can get the voice cast. I mean, you can get the original voice cast, even though it's been, you know, we talked about how, um, long it's been since the first duty originally aired but you've got all of the voices so you've got Cito, Locarno and Crusher doing the original voices and that was great what I also really liked about this was that you know Mariner is clearly looking very much up to Cito but Cito is very supportive of it in a you know in a in a kind way she could have been I was glad to see that it seemed like they had a had a pretty good relationship and it wasn't just that Mariner really looked up to Cito and Cito didn't really comment on it one way or the other. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was nice. I mean, you know, because you had been con- uh, concerned about kind of filling in the blanks on this relationship between Mariner and Cito. And so they did, I think a good job with that, but no, I, I thought that was a, a nice touch here. And it was fun getting Will Wheaton back to do crusher, especially a young crusher and just kind of the, and it really was that young, slightly insecure crusher with his place in the universe, I should say. So, okay, we then get back to Locarno's ship, the Nova One. So we finally have a name for this thing mm-hmm. after all this time. And it makes perfect sense, given where he came from with the Nova Squadron. And Nick is excited because, you know, Mariner is exactly who they need right now. Some federation officer that's going to be able to tell all the lower deckers across the exact galaxy the way it is and what they need to know and it's not just nova squadron they have nova fleet and so we get the reveal of the entire fleet they've repainted the ships uh, some there to to match that uh what do you think about this concept of a nova fleet and nick lacarno and his motivations does this work for you I mean, the shot of all of the ships was very cool. I don't, I mean, I can see how Nick came to this conclusion. The assumption that, I mean, one of the good things about the flashback is it's just so clear how he is just all ego all the time. And one of the things I really liked about how they did did Nick in this episode is we had talked about last time about how one of the issues with Locarno in Paris and that whole thing was that the idea was that Locarno, because he, you know, because he could have come forward and told the truth and it really just kind of took such a dragging on for it to happen, is that he was irredeemable. And they kind of kept that in that. He is very much irredeemable in this episode. And I did kind of like that. I think that he was he was really a villain and he really was up to no good. We'll get into sort of proofs of that later. Um, but the fleet was cool looking. I always love it when it's a whole bunch of different ships just sitting there being cool. I mean, the idea wasn't going to work. And Boimler saying, oh, the Maquis would like a word made me very happy when <laughs> Nick announces his plan. But I also think one of the things I really liked about this, this episode in general was how many of the characters, it really kind of felt like all of the characters were really growing into their you know, junior, junior lieutenant um, promotion 
And I think really it was clear with Nick saying like, oh, Mariner, you're here. You're the one who's going to, you know, get all the lower deckers and tell them how it is. And that's I mean, 100% not what she does. And part of that is because she has, I, you know, she really has like Boimler and Tenji, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit, really come into their own as, you know, juniors, lieutenant, lieutenant juniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of moved ahead a little bit here when Nick gets on the comm and sends out a message across all what's all uh, channels, all frequencies, channels, yep. all frequencies, right? And he's reaching out across the galaxy and inviting everyone to come join them there. Uh, what I don't remember what the name of that planet was, but they uh, set up a shield, a Trinar shield around the entire system, and then it's which is supposed to be impenetrable. And to back themselves up, they have the Genesis device. And so the, and they're not afraid to use it, which, okay, you've got a great hand there, Nick, and it's fantastic. And I really thought it was fantastic. Again, the humor is slightly different here, but, you know, he's on screen and we're watching the Cerritos reaction to this. And Rutherford says, he looks like just like Tom Paris and Boyle response is like, I, I don't see it. There's <laughs> <laughs> like, they have the same face. <laughs> right. And they comes back. No, nope, still, still not seeing it. And of course we talked about this last time that, you know, the uh, Robert Duncan McNeil played both Paris and Nick Carno and is doing the voice here. So that's a fun little inside baseball gag for Star Trek there. And Mariner just, I love her little response. You know, she gets asked to come to the comm and uh, say something. And she's like, you know, all you lower deckers out there, I got something important to say. This guy sucks. Exactly <laughs> in this very Mariner way. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was perfect. It was absolutely priceless. And then she ran off with the Genesis device. And I admit up until she did that, I was a little concerned about what was going to happen with her. If she was going, basically going to get, set up and there was going to be a trust issue with Mariner after all this time that we essentially were moving from her self-destructive phase into the not trusted phase. And that was, we were setting up season, a season five storyline, but no, uh, I think this was great. And I'm glad they did not give us that as the tease for next season. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it was really good. Yeah, I agree exactly with what you said. And, and, you know, anyone who was watching it saw her basically say, this guy sucks, and then steal the Genesis device and run away. Like, there's no possible, like, there's no universe in which she, that somebody's going to be like, I don't know, she seemed to be on his side. Right, right. No, that made it clear. And then her actions, everything after that justifies her in a sense. But so she makes her escape through the station, and she does find a Federation ship, which... I don't want to say it's a plot hole, but they spent all this time over the past two episodes talking about how no Federation ships had been stolen here, only for her to end up with one. I checked to see if if this ship was something we'd seen before. It was called the USS Basaro, NCC-52670, and it's apparently a Saber Runner class. And those are similar to the Steam Runner ships. This is all coming from Star Trek Memory Alpha that I'm getting, yeah. but not the exact same thing. So... The, that name had been used elsewhere with a different registry number, but the Passaro in this case is a brand new ship. And that was kind of driving me nuts over the course of the episodes. Like, are we supposed to recognize this ship from something? Because we've just gotten so trained for everything to be a reference to something else when it That's comes to the decks. 
No, that's completely fair. And you're right. It was it was a bit of a, a convenience. Um, I, I I don't know that it bothered me as as much as it did you. I think in part because I loved that her mom's override code with the point two worked, which made me giggle. And I also just it was so cool with how it set up that Wrath of Khan homage that that I can't be mad about it. But you're right. Mm-hmm. It was a giant like, wait, what? Where did this come from? No, it. it- a momentary noticing is, I guess, is what it comes down to. It was a, a distraction there, if anything. But uh, it, again, it was just a a slight inconsistency. But the rest of the episode pays everything off, so it doesn't really matter when it comes down to it. But I gotta love Locarno's response to the Romulans. You know, they're yelling at uh, him. You know, we should blow up the ship, and he's like, "Oh, we can't do that because then all the captains you betrayed will figure out how to get through the shield, and that's okay because Romulans are so famously forgiving, right?" nice uh, well-placed sarcasm there okay well freeman is ordered to stand down by admiral vassery because again at this point unbeknownst to him there is a federation ship involved but there haven't been any federation ships that have been targeted and gone missing and all this and so it's not really a federation affair despite the fact a federation officer had in fact been kidnapped just a bit of a flaw in the logic there and to get around this, you know, Freeman basically says she's going to disobey a direct order. She can't ask anyone else to do it. It's a very stock type of a thing that happens in Star Trek and all kinds of other science all fiction. All the time. I'm always right. wondering, like, who the, like, one dude in, like, the library who doesn't want to be part of it. I'm like, what exactly are you doing with this guy? Are you, like, putting him in a, you know, escape pod? Like, what's happening? You know what? It would have been hysterical if they had like one person get up and walk I out. I was sure they would have one guy be like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> that would have been great. But Tindy's got this idea. She's going to go back to Orion and convince her sister, Erica, to loan them a battleship, an Orion battleship to, to take to, I think I found the name. It was Detrion 9 uh, or the Detrion system there. Yeah. Only when they get there, Derica is not interested in helping get through the Trinar shield. She explains that she's busy. <laughs> trying to integrate two different criminal families <laughs> enterprises after her <laughs> wedding just just casually saying this in front of everyone just saying what it is it's a criminal enterprise we're going to integrate two of them and so you know can't help you and then uh tindy invokes uh or demands barter by combat and this is where we meet beth that is uh De erica's champion a very large muscular orion woman and a then six and a half yeah, and then Tendi gets to choose a champion and picks Miglimo. Now, of course, that was to the disappointment of Shax and um, Tazan and Ransom. And Ransom. Yeah. We were all there posing with our muscles and getting ready to do this. I knew there was a joke or an inside thing with Miglimo getting picked for that. But what were you expecting, if anything, out of that? I, I was with you. There was something. I didn't know what it was. I would have never, if you had if you had paused when we were watching it and said, you have five minutes to figure out what the trick is, I would not have come up with allergic to feathers, um, which was very funny and very amazing. And I just loved how like, you know, Miglamo was like, like standing there, like eating popcorn, like totally convinced he is not involved with this at all. And this is all just fine. And then Boimler going, what does he say? Like, Oh my gosh, I think I need a new therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And I also liked, um, you know, this bit that he's down there and he's flapping around and he's trying to 
you know, negotiators like, perhaps we could talk about this, ma'am. And, <laughs> and so Beth ends up having an allergic reaction, blows snot all over his face and is passing out. The crew of the Cerritos is starting to celebrate only for Beth to fall on top of him. And so the Iryans win this year. I loved Billups' responses to uh, Derica's insults about the Cerritos, you know, some measly support ship. <laughs> yeah, he starts rolling up his like sleeves. Pulls, <laughs> ransom like pulls him back, like let it go. Not right now, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Tendi makes her deal where if she, uh, if Derica helps them, then she'll give Derica what she really wants is that she'll come back to Orion and help her out. Or at her side. I, you know, I on my second watch through, I had occurred to me I should have paid more attention to what it was exactly Tendi promised. Cause I'm wondering if that's gonna figure into her out when we get to season five mm-hmm. of this. I'm but what do you think? I don't know. I'm curious about what her plans are while she's on Orion, but we can talk about that at the end. Right. And then of course Derica gets one over them because she gives them a battleship, but it's essentially a derelict craft, which has no real value other than the fact that it's huge. Okay. So back to uh, Detron system and Mariner is evading everyone, uh, casually talking to her Genesis device first officer, which she's nicknamed GD. Mm-hmm. And then she attempts to reason with the Ferengi, you know, like what are you even doing listening to this guy? And they're quoting rules of acquisition back and forth to you. That's always fun with Ferengi uh, when they do that, when they start quoting these random rules of acquisition and they're one-upping each other there. And then, you know, eventually she kind of gets into with the Rymans as well about, you know, why are you taking orders for this guy? Like, We're not taking orders. This is a mutual cooperative system here. And, yeah, and then she plants that seed of doubt in their head. But I got to say, that was really a fantastic animated chasing. So good. So good. And some of the details were just amazing. When she vents the coolant and freezes the front of the Ferengi ship, that was so cool. And that part kind of towards the end where she hides in the um, kind of the cave and shuts down the lights and how that kind of reflected before it went dark. I mean somebody put the animation has always been great in lower decks i've always admired it but i really appreciate that when they have the opportunity to do something really cinematic and really just beautiful they take the time to do it and that the the mariners chasing was definitely or being chasing was definitely one of those examples mm-hmm and then we get our great homage to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, because they don't have a nebula in the system, which makes sense. But they've got an ion storm that might as well be a nebula. And Mariner goes there and hides. Locarno can't get anyone else to go in there after her, so he does. We get some of the exact same shots from Wrath of Khan. Just take out the Enterprise and uh, um, what was the other ship? Reliant. And replace them with Mariner, uh, the you know Mariner ship and Nick ship, and, you know the one flying over the other. The you know they're negotiating the way through the storm again. The, the nebula in Star Trek Two. We even get some of the musical cues from the Wrath of Khan. We get the sound effects when she decides to power up the Genesis device. Which okay, another brilliant decision. She's like, I can't get this out of the system. I've got to use it. 
in order to make sure that you guys don't have it. It's too dangerous for anyone to have. Now she starts to take it to an uninhabited world, but then does the same thing that happens in Wrath of Khan. She ends up blowing it up inside the nebula and it makes a new planet out of the storm. But, yeah. uh, but you know, how pleased were you with uh, these references to the Wrath of Khan? Oh, I loved it. It was beautiful. It was so well done. It was not subtle. And I mean that in a good way. Like, no Star Trek fan wondered what was going on. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things where if you really didn't know The Wrath of Khan, and The Wrath of Khan is an old movie, y'all. That's just what it is. Um, it was still really cool. And it really, really worked. Because you could have forced the the two of them, you know, the two of them taunting each other while they're through the storm, 100% is what happens in the Wrath of Khan, but they didn't force that dialogue in, you know, it was right. very much Mariner being Mariner and Nick being Nick, and it, the, yes, they're taunting each other, but they're not, they didn't force anything into it, so it was truly an homage and, and not a shot-for-shot shot thing, and I, I really appreciated that. They've done, um, you know, they've done some homages before, and, you know, Wrath of Khan is beautiful I'm, I'm skipping ahead but you you know you mentioned that she sets off the genesis device but the wave of the genesis device going off is just cool mm -hmm. and the way they did it in this episode was just cool and i was so glad that they did it i mean it made me a little nostalgic <laughs> i was like oh yeah. let's go back well one of the things i also appreciate about it was is that they didn't like spell it out for us an exposition that this is exactly what happened when Kirk and Khan were, you know, fighting each other all, you know, all those years ago in the Matara Nebula, like spelling out the reference for us. They just let us mm -hmm. get it or not. And so it was, I assume we had this conversation that I feel like we're probably getting a higher percentage of diehard long-term Star Trek fans watching this more than anything else. And, but it was great. The one thing, again, I was concerned about was, well, how does the Khan end? with Spock dying, trying mm -hmm. to fix the warp core so the Enterprise can get away just before the Genesis device goes off. And when we had Captain Freeman and them on the shuttle burst through the shield, which we can cover here in just a second as well, I was convinced someone on that shuttle was going to warp over to the Pissarro and get stuck behind fixing something so that Mariner could escape and then we were, next season, we were going to have a search for whoever that character was. So, right. again, it seemed like it would have been such an obvious step. And I'm glad they didn't take it because they didn't need to. They don't need to recreate those things. No, they don't. And it's been recreated. And to your point, it wouldn't have gotten them anywhere. And, yeah, I, we we didn't need it. And I'm glad they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So we alluded to it earlier. Uh, Freeman arrived with the Cerritos and the Destroyer, except for we've got acting Captain Cap Boimler. Yes! <laughs> in the oh. of the Cerritos. And they're towing the Destroyer basically to ram it into the shield and create an opening so Freeman and the bridge crew can get through on their shuttle and go help Mariner out there. But, okay. I, yes! This could have gone all kinds of si sideways with overacting, ridiculous, or like that. But I think it was handled just about perfectly with Boimler sitting in the command chair. It was perfect. It made me so happy. We know that Boimler wants to be a captain, and he was in that seat. I mean, 
I know at the end he says something about how, you know, Ransom really liked Mike Cappadine. And yes, he did a great job. And you know what? He stands up to the Admiral. We have talked about how Tendi has grown as a character. We have talked about how Mariner has grown as a character. Boimler has not been on that many episodes, but we also need to talk about how he grew as a character because Boimler from season three would not have talked to the Admiral that way ever. No. No, he would not. He would have freaked out. (laughs) He would have freaked out and he would have panicked and he would have turned around or he would have, I don't know, or he would have needed one of his lower, you know, the one of the lower decker friends to be like, dude, you can do this. And he didn't need that. He he stood up to the admiral. It was it, it I, we have talked before about how cool it would have been if we could have had more Boimler in season four. Um, if you're going to give me that at the end of season four of Boimler, I will accept not having him. If you're going to give him this subtle growth that really just pays off in the end in just one of those like, rah, you mm-hmm. go scenes, I'll take it. I will take it anytime. So Captain Boimler gave me, acting Captain Boimler gave me all the feels and I enjoyed that so much. And yes, on my rewatch, I might have rewatched that little part more than just once as we was <laughs> doing it again. It just made me happy. And he had the captain voice down. And at one point, Tindy mm-hmm. kind of leans over and whispers, like, I like your captain voice. <laughs> you have a really good captain voice for what it was that she said. <laughs> but, it, you know, he's doing the leaning and like the wait for, you know, wait mm-hmm. and like, you know, it was, he, he nailed it. But it also seemed like it was Boimler being Boimler, not those you know that past episode where it was like do the captain speech, and he was clearly trying to pretend to be he was trying to pretend to be Riker doing a captain speech. This was mm-hmm. Boimler doing a captain speech, and you can see Boimler like has potential as a captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. The the this whole gang of lieutenants has had tremendous growth over the course of the season here. And so we kind of touched on a lot of the resolution here. You know, Locarno is beams over to Mariner's ship and is trying to get her to disable the Genesis device. And then she ends up getting beamed aboard the Federation shuttle just as he goes to shoot her, uh, which I yes. uh, was not expecting. And then he's just about to disable the Genesis device, but it is a Fringy device and it asks for two bars of gold pressed latinum, which he doesn't have, and it blows up. Okay, it does not seem like there is a real opportunity for Locarno to have made it off that ship. But what do you think? Are we going to see him again at some point in the future? I hope not. I think that was a really good, I mean, the like, now there's a new planet named after him because he's merged with the planet and, um, you know, it's now for refugees. Like that was a, a tidy little bow, but that's a very Star Trek tidy little bow. And I think Locarno, I keep calling him Nick and, and Locarno going back and forth. I think he got all the screen time he needed. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose if you really wanted, you could stick that in your back pocket. If you're the writers of lower decks, depending on how many more seasons this show gets and you could always pull them out as you know, one of these other ships that he was allied with just happened to be in the area and being him aboard at the last second. And so that's a possibility, but I don't need any more of him. We still have, you know, Thomas Boimler and uh, or William Boimler. I can't remember uh, which one he's going by, but we've got other characters that are out there that could serve as villains for season five or be lurking in the shadows for futures. So I don't know that we need to go back to that well again. You know, because we get towards the wrap up here of all this, and 
Vassery decides not to punish Freeman, uh, mainly because she managed to open to diplomatic relations with the Orions. Mm-hmm. And not because she actually accomplished something that pulled all their asses out of the fire. Right. <laughs> um, but that Which seems is also be... a very Star Trek thing. Yeah. I can't help but think by the time that Lower Decks ends, she's going to get her promotion to Admiral and it's to replace him and his inc- incompetence. Because we already saw that in the episode uh, where we had Rom and Lita there and Vassari was being made a fool of by those two. And Freeman's the one that had to save that deal. And then we get our lieutenant reunion. So Mariner's back and she says she's really back. And then she talks about how she has been processing some heavy stuff. She's going to try some non-self-sabotage for once. And they all go to the bar. And Talyn makes her decision not to accept Captain Sokol's message because she's going to have, she's decided to dedicate herself to becoming Tindy's science bestie, which mm-hmm. is really fun to hear a Vulcan say. Yes. And Boimler convinces Mariner to do the lower decks chant right as the Orion ship shows up for Tendi. Mm-hmm. So with the exception of Tendi, I think they did a pretty good job wrapping up our Lieutenant JG storylines from the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. There was um, a bunch of growth. Even Talun gets a little bit of growth. She's come to terms with the fact that, you know, she can be a you know that she is a solid real vulcan and i'm not going to quote the episode but we all know we're thinking that line and let's Mm -hmm. just all think it and that being on the cerritos isn't it may have started out as a punishment but for her it is useful and it is good and she is necessary and um yeah i i liked having her there we didn't really talk about um rutherford's little storyline in this um but even he's sort of had a little bit of growth, not as much as the other characters, but I really like how it felt like by the end of the episode that they were no longer lower deckers. Mm-hmm. They had, they had been promoted. They had worked through whatever they needed to. And now they felt like they were in the promotion. And I am, I think that is cool the way they kind of closed. I don't want to say close the book. Cause we know there's going to be what well, we hope there's going to be a season five. They've announced a season five. We're expecting a season five, but you know, that, that, they're going to move past it. There's going to be more stories. There's going to be new and different stories. And I really liked it. And I've really liked how Lower Decks has matured over, over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. You could only keep these characters instance for so long before it wasn't going to make any sense. You know, we've made jokes about Harry Kim having been an ensign for seven seasons of Voyager and justice for Kim. You couldn't do that with all of these characters. I mean, they would, had everyone would have gotten promoted around them there. Yeah. Let's do talk about Rutherford's storyline for just a minute here. Cause it wasn't as central as their things no. were happening. So it did kind of not grasp as much of our attention, but you know, he has his nemesis from engineering uh, who's Levick. Yeah. And you know, they're, and it really comes to a head when they're trying to figure out how to get that destroyer up and moving. And it was Talen of all people who got them to go to the hollow deck and do the Mark Twain thing and work out a compromise. And again, just Talyn saying something like, you know, when you have an irrational problem, sometimes the logical thing to do is come up with an irrational solution. And mm-hmm. <laughs> Captain Freeman was like, why does this work? Does this work. <laughs> Boy was like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, when they get into the bar, uh, you know, 
Rutherford walks by, you know, Livick, and they just kind of growl each other. They got the Jerry Seinfeld Newman thing uh, going on in that regard. Which I love. I hope that continues into season five, because to some extent they were both. And what I like about that rivalry is that neither one of them is. I mean, we're rooting for Rutherford because he's our guy. But Mm -hmm. other than that, Levick torments Rutherford. Like he's not wrong. He's not. He is legitimately a good engineer trying to do a good job. And I appreciate that. Like, if you want to have that sort of personality clash, because you just do, great. But that neither of them are a villain or being stupid or doing something wrong, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of set it up now for there to be this rivalry for one of our characters and someone else aboard the ship. Previously, that had been Mariner and Jennifer, but then they became a couple last season. And then that relationship was non-existent at all. Mm -hmm. No reference to it. No what happened Mm -hmm. to it. No them getting together in the bar for drinks at some point. When we saw Mariner and she was with anybody, it was with our core group of lower deckers. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, does that matter to you at all? No. I mean, I like Jennifer as a character that, you know, the episode where they go to the, you know, do the candle making thing and end up phasering each other and Mariner like, you know, freaks out. I enjoyed that episode very much, but I watched the show for the core four and uh, I guess five now, um, or maybe back to four. I don't know, but I watch it for them. And, you know, we have discussed offline about how I don't watch Star Trek for the relation. I mean, I watch Star Trek for the relationships, but not necessarily the love stories. And I guess that's not really what I was going with it. It's just the fact that it was a storyline in season three, which had, I'm not sure it had a resolution other than, you know, they had been at each other's throats prior to this and suddenly in the relationship and now the relationship disappeared. I mean, I don't, I mean, without a word about it, I guess is the only thing. And, you know, not that I needed to see them carry on the romance, but just not to address it all just seemed a little strange over the, the season. If we're going to do things that were a little strange, um, not not disagreeing with you at all, um, the phone call discussion with the Admiral and Mariner's parents. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the call, I was expecting Mariner's father and mother to be like, okay, well, obviously we're ignoring that. They don't have that conversation. They, They get off the call and do not discuss, which I thought was really interesting it didn't bother me when freeman was doing her announcement that like we're gonna go get um mariner back that she didn't say like we're getting my daughter back because yes that's what they're doing but they are also getting an officer back and Mm -hmm. we're gonna go get my daughter i don't think plays as well with a ship who doesn't know who that is as well as it's as much as they have kidnapped one of our officers and we are going after him because that's just good captaining, right? right? Like we would go after Mariner just the way if it were you person who's listening to this announcement, we would break a rule to go for you. But I did think it was interesting that her, you know, Mariner's parents never comes up. This is true. This is true. And then, okay. So we get the tending departure scene mm-hmm. there and, you know, her friends all walk her to the holodeck again, it's Rutherford taking this to hardest. And, you know, they talk about, you know, he's going to have to, he's going to keep those plasma conduits clean without her. And, you know, she says, okie dokie. And he says it back and they both got tears in her eyes. And then as they're 
leaving, you know, everybody else is, you know, all confident that this is only a temporary thing. You know, Bowen was like, oh, she'll be back in no time. And uh, and then Mariner is pointing out, oh, look, we got a, an assignment. It's about warp manifolds. That's a Rutherford thing. You'll have fun. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. But then as I like, walk towards an off screen, he hangs his head again. And we had, you know, you were talking about relationships ago. We just had an episode a few weeks ago when they were on Ferenginar and they had to pose as a married couple. And it was very uncomfortable because it kind of hit too close to home. Mm-hmm. And so and that was know. never addressed. Right. And so you know, <laughs> they wrapped that up with those two having that awkward uh, climbing into the Jeffrey's tube together <laughs> into that episode, just that thing like we're friends and all this makes sense. So, um, and then Tendi gets aboard the Orion ship and then she watches Cerritos as the ship goes to warp. And she turns around, she says, I've got this. And, you know, she gets that kind of confident grin on her face. And so, you know, again, setting up something that's going to happen in season five. I mean, I, how many episodes do you think it'll take her to get back to the Cerritos in season five? Two. Yeah, I think you nailed Two. it. it's probably one episode with her doing stuff with Orion at most kind of in the background, focusing on the other rest of the crew. And then by the second episode, she'll have made her way back. So, okay. Well, that does it for season four. What are your overall thoughts on this one? I really enjoyed it. I just thought this was a good, I thought this was a good wrap up. I thought there were, and we've talked about it. Like there were some ways that it could have, we talked about it in the last episode. Uh, there were some ways where it could have, I don't want to say been bad, but it could have been. And and they just, they did a great job. It was, it was beautiful to look at. It was funny at the right spots. It hit emotionally at all the right spots. Um, I liked how they used the Genesis device in a way that felt like reasonable as much as, you know, a Genesis device is ever reasonable. It does not matter if that is live action or animation. Um, I was, I was really happy with it. It was one of those, it's one of those situations again, where I think if they could have 45 minutes for an episode, I can't imagine what more magic they could do, but um, I am, I am sad that the season is over and I am actively looking forward to the next one. Yeah. I, it's one of those things we always want more as fans, but at the same time, I think it's always left to be, it's better to be left wanting more when it's all said and done, as opposed to thinking that was too long. And, or there was one episode, I can't remember which one it was a season that you kind of described as a meh episode, of lower decks, but it was one episode. And if this mm-hmm. thing had been 13, 15 episodes, you run the risk of that being two or three of those. And and so much of Lower Decks, or a chunk of Lower Decks these days, not so much anymore, but it does rely on their ability to refer to what happened in Star Trek in the past. And they're going, you know, that's a well that's going to have to run dry at some point without it becoming super forced. So anyway, mm-hmm. I I think this is a fantastic season. I don't think Lower Decks has had a bad season and uh, the four that we've had so far. It's been some of the consistently most fun Star Trek that we've had since Paramount Plus started putting it out there. And I don't know when we're getting season five. I'd actually kind of be surprised if it was in 2024. I'm guessing maybe early 2025. Um, but, uh, but whenever it comes back, I'll be there for it. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I will be happy when it is back. But I agree. I don't think it's going to be for a little while. Right. Okay, well, then that will conclude our discussion of the season finale of season four Lower Decks and the season of Lower Decks. We will be back 
whenever discovery arrives, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Season five, I think it's supposed to come out sometime in January, February. But uh, before we go, Beth, you want to remind everybody where our listeners can find us? Absolutely. We are on X at Warp Trails. We're on Instagram and Facebook uh, as at Warp Trails Pod, although in the interest of full disclosure, I don't think either of those sites are particularly active. So if you actually want to talk to us about Star Trek, I recommend joining us on the RetroZap Discord server. So if you go to the RetroZap Discord channel, you will find a Warp Trails room and you can discuss Star Trek with us. Yeah, we actually had a, a brief but fun little conversation there about the finale the other day, and you posted something about the uh, Lower Deck Funko Pops. So mm-hmm. um, there's been some Gotta stuff there. Right. And, of course, our show is part of the RetroZap Podcast Network. You can head over to RetroZap.com for some other great podcasts covering everything from collecting video games, superheroes, Star Wars, and a whole lot more. And with that, thanks for joining us for Season 4 of Lower Decks, everyone. Live long and prosper. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, Starfleet's not perfect. They mess up all the time. But in the end, they're trying to do what's right.